and this is NRI Women, the show where we chat with women of Indian origin living abroad who have inspiring stories to tell. We hope that in sharing these stories, you'll learn something new, be inspired, or just know that there are so many others who have walked in the same shoes as you before. I'm Nanora. And I'm Bettina. You've likely shared an experience very similar to our guest today, because honestly, it has happened for generations and continues to happen till today. Anu Kumar currently works as a lab manager and research assistant at the ICM in Paris. She shares her story of growing up in almost two different worlds. One where her skin color was appreciated, even desired. The other where she was constantly reminded that it was something undesirable and in need of being fixed. Anu was born in New York to Indian immigrant parents from southern India. However, when Anu was around three years old, the family migrated to a small town named Athens, very close to Knoxville, Tennessee. We didn't have many Indian American families or just Indian families around the area, at least while I was growing up. Now it's a little bit different. Whenever I uh, go back to visit, uh, like during college, I notice there are a few more families around than I noticed when I was growing up. But when I was much younger, such as in elementary school or even in high school, there weren't many families. Um, so a lot of the times, whenever we would have, uh, like in our home in my hometown, it was mostly a, a white American population with like a uh, with a pretty decently sized like Latino and Hispanic population as well as African American population. But in general, the Asian population was very small, and the South Asian, particularly Indian population, was very, very small. As a South Asian, when there I had no South Asian friends until really high school, where I knew one other Indian girl. Um, so it was it was very interesting growing up in that environment. With limited access to an Indian community, Anu's exposure to Indian culture and the very particular way of thinking, especially when it comes to skin was limited to her parents. I think uh, the comments started like before I was in grade school, but I didn't really think anything of it because I was a kid and I didn't really understand like what was going on or how the comments made me feel. It was just more of like a suggestion like, oh, like the sun is out today, like make sure you wear like a long sleeve shirt. And there wasn't really like a uh, explanation of um, such a comment when I was much younger. And it was about, I'd say somewhere between third and fourth grade. So I was about maybe like nine-ish years old whenever I started noticing that the comments were said in a vaguely negative light. So I, so whenever I would go outside um, to play for, at uh, recess at school um, and it was particularly hot that day or we would have field day where everyone in all of the classes in our school would like go out and play these like relay races and jump around like bouncy castles or something like that. Um, my skin would get darker because I would be outside in the sun. And whenever my, um, whenever I would get back from those sorts of events or get back from being outside for a very long time during the day, my parents would say something like, oh, like you should use fair and lovely and it, it didn't seem to be coming from a place of, oh, make sure you protect your skin in terms of like, you know, UV radiation or like damage, or we don't want your skin to 
flare up or something like that. It was always, it was very like tiptoed around at first, but um, something about those moments made me feel like, okay, I feel like there's like something else that they're not saying because they were the only two people in my life at that point who were saying such things about my skin, even if they weren't outrightly negative at the time. Most of us have encountered comments about one's skin color, either from our parents, uncles, aunts, or even just the neighbors. On the surface, it may seem like those comments don't matter. But the reality is, they do. Because when one hears it as a child, one internalizes it, and it gets linked to one's self-esteem without even realizing it. It was particularly weird when I started seeing more fair and lovely ads um, because like, we would get international TV at our house, so we would watch uh, Indian programming, um, which also meant we would get ads for uh, Indian beauty products, which includes uh, bleaching creams. And to me, it was just so odd that someone would want to make their skin lighter intentionally because at least in my hometown uh, in the U.S., there are so many tanning salons. So it was so weird to have these two different situations where people who are like me, who are of Indian descent or who are from India, you know, they don't like their dark skin or it seems like they don't like their dark skin, even if it's just slightly tan. And people uh, who are from the U.S. who have lighter skin or people from around the world who have much lighter skin, it felt like they just wanted to become darker. It just felt like they wanted to become more tan. So it was such a weird experience when I was uh, like first starting to realize this sort of cognitive dissonance of like, no, ma- it seems like no matter what skin color you have, it's just not good enough. Colorism isn't a problem unique to the Indian community. There is a much larger conversation about race happening across the world right now, bringing the discussion on colorism to the forefront. However, it is not only about a change in attitude. There is real money to be lost. According to a report published by Zion Market Research, it is estimated that the skin lightening industry will be around $9 billion by 2024. And that money is pumped into adverts, artfully reinforcing the stereotype that fair is lovely. For years, media has perpetuated the stereotype that fair, pale skin equates to beauty and success, thus subtly deepening the link between one's skin color and dignity, creating a feeling of unworthiness amongst those with dark skin. As kids, you know, when you go through like these psychological stages of development, you tend to not really question these things from a... uh, Like, you tend to not really critically question these things. You may feel like, oh, like, why can't I go outside sort of thing? Because kids ask questions. We're all naturally curious like that. And sometimes when your parents just say, like, you just can't, or when your elders say you just can't, um, you know, like, you you don't really have that room to negotiate culturally, especially in South Asian culture, you're kind of expected to follow what your parents say, and that is... uh, the equivalent of respecting, in air quotes, respecting your parents is just like unequivocally following what they say and not really questioning it. And um, when you start to have that kind of conditioning when you're that young, it's very, very easy to start obsessing over your appearance. And that has a very, very detrimental effect on people's, especially children and young adults, self-confidence. 
as well as uh, creating this sort of like body dysmorphia image for themselves. Uh, because when your entire young life has been just receiving messages just like thrown at you of if you're dark, you're ugly, or if you're dark, you're not going to be successful, or if you're dark, no one is going to care about you, then it's like, you know, after you hear it so many times, you internalize that. So instead of the messages coming from just outside, you're also telling that to yourself. So it's just the cycle of internalizing all of these, um, these hurtful, these ultimately hurtful messages. Um, and especially if that is all you've ever known, if no one has given you any other reason to believe otherwise, then that becomes the truth to you, whether or not it is um, empirically correct or not. Um, that becomes the reality that you live in. In India, darker-skinned Indians, especially women, face discrimination at work, at school, even in love. It's common for matchmakers and arranged marriage websites to filter prospective brides by skin tone. Often, people carry the weight of this knowledge or experience into the countries they migrate to and unintentionally pass it on to their children. And the pattern continues. It's hard to break the mold that has been reinforced over centuries unless one is conscious about the thought process. I think like maybe my first season of college marching band, whenever I would like stay out in the sun all day, then I would like notice myself getting darker. And then sometimes my first instinct would just be like, oh my gosh, like I should put on more sunscreen more frequently or something like that. And it, and then I would have to kind of double back and remind myself like, no, you are in, you know, a top tier college marching band you're learning a new show every single week you are with you know a bunch of your friends doing something that you love as long as you are wearing your sunscreen and your skin is not getting damaged and you're staying hydrated like this is this should not be on the forefront of your mind and right now so so in in Paris in winter there's not a lot of sun so and my skin changes very drastically with the addition of sun. So right now I am actually much fairer than I normally would be in summer because my skin tone changes quite a bit. There are definitely some days where I look in the mirror and I just think like, wow, my skin looks really good today. And I have to catch myself thinking like, is that because, you know, like I'm taking better care of my skin in terms of like seeing a dermatologist and, you know, paying attention to how much water I'm drinking and just like taking care of my skin in the cold and dry weather here? Or is it because my skin is lighter? So I've been trying to dissect my thoughts a little bit more and trying to figure out where are they coming from? Are they coming from a place of self-like? Or is it from the thoughts of, oh, like my skin is not dark, therefore I feel good today. And that is the first step to overcoming colorism. Having a conversation with oneself to identify, accept the thoughts, and work towards being comfortable in one's own skin. Anu is aware of her privilege to choose to use the language around color and skin tone to reflect more positive values. She realizes that this was not the case with her parents, something that had dawned on her only after she had moved to Paris. Whenever I first uh, like came here, it was 
a completely different environment and I didn't realize how hard the culture shock hit me. And um, it gave me a special kind of appreciation for what my parents uh, potentially had to go through when they immigrated from uh, India to New York in the US. Like for instance, yesterday I went to go um, like buy some new bath towels and the cashier kept on asking me, you know, do, uh, do you want a bag? And I just could, I, it was such a simple sentence. He literally said four words and I just could not understand what he said. And he asked me again in English. And then I realized the words that he said meant, do you want a bag? Which is like before, maybe like a week ago, I walked into that same store. And then the woman who checked me out, um, she asked me, like, do you want a bag? And I said, yes, because I understood what she said. And it was just from the small change of accent um, that I just was not, I literally was not able to understand a small question. And it took me back to an instance when um, I was in my uh, hometown and uh, there, there are some people who speak with like a very Southern drawl, like their words kind of go together, just like the accent of the area. And then sometimes my parents would have a hard time understanding them. And at first I would think like, well, why? They're, they're just like speaking English and my parents have been here for like so, so long. Um, but they also probably learned like a different like dialect of English when they were like growing up in India and then they moved to New York and that's like a completely different accent as well as you find. And it just took me back to that time whenever I was just um, there and my parents were having like a hard time like discerning those two accents. And so that has been like a very large eye-opening experience for me just coming here. Anu may have walked in her parents' shoes briefly, but it gave her an insight into how their circumstances and priorities were different. She understands now that it was about survival, putting food on the table, trying their best to fit into an unfamiliar environment, leaving very little room to focus on expanding their mindset. They did the best they could in a way they knew. It's different for Anu. She's determined not to carry forward the baggage passed on through generations. Especially, I don't know, as a as like a, a South Asian young woman, I feel like I was very much discouraged from pursuing anything on the side if it does not directly relate to my studies, um, which is a whole other issue. I could talk for hours about that, but so, I'm sure like so could so many other people. And Whenever I made this resolution, I made it with the goal in mind of, I want to break out of that shell. I, I want to stop, I, I don't want to feel timid when I see an opportunity and say, man, I wish I could do that. And I made it my goal for 2019 to, whenever I find myself thinking, I wish I could do that, I would turn that into, well, why don't I apply for it? Or why don't I do it? Like what is, what is like physically, what is holding me from doing that? If it's a time constraint, if I feel like I literally do not have the time that I want to devote for it if I am too overwhelmed. And I didn't want to limit myself because I feel like I, I personally put a lot of limits on myself. Don't be afraid to take risks. Um, I'm saying that also to myself as I say that to um, both of you and whoever um, gets a chance to listen to this episode. Whether that be with... Um, like obvious decisions would be like for your job, career, all that sort of stuff, but also for personal growth, for questioning the motives of your 
relatives, no matter how well-intentioned they may or may not be, for not being afraid to try and take the steps to better your life, whether that be seeking a therapist who specializes um, in this sort of like specific cultural niche, whether that be choosing a career path that is uh, quote unconventional uh, for your family, um, if it means cutting your hair short, if uh, if uh, your relatives say, oh, like, uh, what, what will people say? And uh, at the end of the day, you are the person that has to live your life. And there are going to be so, so many people who are going to discourage you um, intentionally or unintentionally. And there will, there will also be so many people who will support you. And it is very important to listen, listen to those who disagree with you with a grain of salt, but to lean on your support system to help you take those risks. Um, don't be complacent. Always challenge yourself to grow into a better version of yourself and take risks whenever you can. And the results of pushing those boundaries are there for all to see. Anu is currently in Paris, pursuing a career she loves. Her personal essay, What It's Like to Have Darker Skin in a Culture That Tells Me It's Ugly, was published in the Huffington Post. So Monk Kid said, We can't think of changing our skin color. Change the world. That's how we gotta think. And Anu hopes that if she loves and accepts her skin, others will finally see that unfair is lovely too. I'm Nanora. And I'm Bettina. Thank you for joining us today and we hope you'll join us again for our episode next week. We can be found at nriwoman.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just look for NRI Woman. We'd love to hear from you. Share with us what you liked, loved or didn't about this episode. Email us at hello at nriwoman.com. Please help us spread the stories of these amazing women by sharing it with your friends and family. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Google's Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Our featured fellow podcaster is Dem Fatal Podcast. Emma and Emlyn teach each other about historic and current women in STEM and remind each other about things they definitely should know. If you're into STEM or are interested, this is a podcast for you. They can be found across all social media platforms or wherever you listen to our amazing podcast. Welcome to STEM Fatale, your women in science history podcast. I'm Emlyn Gremlin. I'm Emma Dilemma. And we're two STEM PhD students <laughs> <laughs> trying to learn more about all the women that science history has overlooked. Every episode, we tell the story of a historical female scientist. We discuss their struggles, research accomplishments, and get into the crazy banana sexism they faced in pursuing their scientific dreams. Do you like stories about escaping from the Nazis? We got them. <laughs> or stories about NASA's lack of understanding of the female body? Yeah, we got those too. We've got it all. So take a listen. And go, go stimulate yourself. NRI Woman episodes come out every Monday, so make sure you subscribe. Until next time, keep learning, keep inspiring, and be kind.
next week on NRI Woman. And then I did my masters. That was still okay, but already he was like, you know, it's going to be a problem to find a guy, find a right match because, you know, um, it's all like this. Now the guy has to be taller than the girl, older than the girl, has to make more money or make money, and the girl cannot make money. He has to be more educated. He everything except for the beauty has to be more on the guy's side because then he can control her. Now, basically, it's all about controlling. So if you are uh, physically stronger. If you are um, intellectually stronger, then you'd be a better off uh, husband, or you know, or the wife would be in control in some ways. They don't say it outright, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm.